All right, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Galatians tonight. Galatians chapter number three, and everybody should have a copy of the handout this evening. Galatians chapter number three, and uh, we're going to be looking at just a portion of this text, uh, but we're going to be using this tonight as part of our uh, series we've been dealing with on of God's covenant. Uh, Now, on the board, it actually said the covenant of works and grace, but we're going to deal with the subject tonight and an illustration, in in a sense, uh, simply entitled A Covenant Confirmed. A Covenant Confirmed. We're going to look at uh, one of the covenants uh, in in a little bit of detail tonight, but we're going to look at it from the perspective of how uh, Paul wrote in the book of Galatians regarding this covenant. Now, on the front of your handout tonight, you see that this is uh, from chapter 7 of our Confession of Faith, paragraph number 3. And simply, I'm going to read this and let's uh, follow along together and we'll see uh, kind of where we're going with this tonight. It says, This covenant is revealed in the gospel. First of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman, and afterwards by farther steps until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. And it is founded in that eternal covenant transaction that was between the Father and the Son about the redemption of the elect. And it is alone by the grace of this covenant that all the posterity of fallen Adam that ever were saved did obtain life and blessed immortality, man being now utterly incapable of acceptance with God upon those terms on which Adam stood in his state of innocency. Now, as we've been dealing with this idea of the covenant, you'll see here on the inside of your handout, I've given you a brief introduction here. And the text we're going to be looking at is in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 18. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you're not already there, Galatians 3, verses 7 through 18. And before we read there, I want you to notice this introduction with me because this this Confession of Faith paragraph mentioned this state of blessed immortality. Uh, We dealt with that word blessedness last week about being blessed and to to be blessed, you must be uh, in Christ. But notice your introduction here. It says that the covenant of works and the covenant of grace look toward the blessedness of man, but only one meaning one of the covenants could provide spiritual life, knowledge, righteousness, and fellowship with God. And we covered uh, that last week, kind of as a way of review. The covenant of works depended upon the obedience of the first Adam to remain in this state of blessedness which, as we know, resulted in condemnation. So we know last week as we looked at this, we looked at how Adam failed to keep that covenant of works. In order for the covenant of works to have been redeeming or to have been saving, Adam would have had to have been able to keep the commandments, and he didn't. So kind of our statement for tonight, our thesis here. The only way of grace through faith is found in a perfect union with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Christ the second Adam. Now remember, when we refer to the second Adam, uh, we're not saying that Christ is Adam, but we are indicating that in the first Adam, man fell. In the second Adam, man finds eternal life. But it's in Christ, the second Adam, we are in a state of eternal blessedness. And its confirmation is found in the covenant of grace. 
So what we're differentiating between here tonight is we're differentiating between the covenant of works, which Adam failed. Now, it doesn't mean that the, it doesn't mean that the covenant was broken. It just meant that Adam couldn't keep the covenant. So Jesus Christ had to keep the covenant. And he, in fact, did keep the covenant of works because he did perfectly obey. So it's not that the covenant just disappeared. It's that Jesus was the only one. So what did man need? Man needed grace to be able to have eternal blessedness. So what you have tonight is really five statements we're going to look at from Galatians tonight. And uh, I've just given you some space just to take some notes if you want to do that. Uh, There's not any fill in the blanks here, just kind of some headings for us to look at. Now, as we go to Galatians chapter number three, remember uh, the, the, the context of this is the Apostle Paul was writing to these individuals. And and chapter 3 of Galatians, if you wanted to give this a theme, uh, you could give it the theme of uh, bewitched. Uh, What that word means is uh, it was to, to be misled. What Paul was concerned about is the church there among the Galatians had been deceived into believing that Jesus Christ was not the only way. They had been misled to go back into the way of keeping the law. And that's really the whole context of of Galatians chapter number three. Uh, Paul, this is the the book, the book of Galatians is is where Paul makes the statement that in in the first chapter of Galatians where he says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, preached unto you, let him be accursed. In other words, Paul says, if some man comes along preaching something other than the gospel, which you've already believed, that man, let that man be accursed. He goes on to say, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul set the seriousness of this matter by saying, if there's any other gospel being proclaimed, make sure you run away from that gospel. Make sure you uh, remove yourself uh, from that. So here's what we understand. We understand that as Paul wrote this uh, letter to the church uh, there in, in, uh, uh, to the Galatians, in chapter number three, he's still dealing with this bewitching or this misleading. And what he does is he takes them back into what they already know. And he reminds them of something. And that's what we're going to pick up in Galatians 3, verse number 7. Now, this is where the covenant's being reminded. He's reminding them, don't forget a covenant that was made with Abraham. So we're going to deal with one of the covenants, one of the confirmed covenants, and that was the Abrahamic covenant. Now, this is not going to cover everything about that covenant. It's not going to cover every in and out of it. But what we are going to see is how this covenant was kept and carried out and confirmed in Abraham. Okay, so that's what Paul's talking about here. So he says in verse number seven, he says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Now, that's important because he's saying everyone that's in the faith they are the same, they are the children of Abraham. So everybody in the faith is a child of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. 
For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should, be make, should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what we have here, are these headings I want us to look at, and we're going to go through these verse by verse and kind of show you the truth that is in each one of these. And you look in your handout, number one, with regard to the covenant of works. The covenant of works, as we're told about this in verses 7 through 10, pronounced a curse upon every man and was void of blessing. All right, the covenant of works pronounced a curse upon every man and was void of blessing. There was no blessing to be found in the covenant of works. So what Paul does here is he reminds them in verse number seven, remember that you are of the same faith of Abraham. Now, Abraham was given a covenant, and to be part of Abraham was to be part of that covenant. Now, uh, the same faith would indicate this. Uh, The same faith... Uh, means that there was faith in the same person or the same object. Faith was in Jehovah God. Faith was in the Lord. They were the true children of Abraham. Abraham is called the father of all that believe. In other words, all believers can call Abraham their father, not by birthright, not by blood, but through Christ. Because of the covenant that was given to Abraham, he says, Paul says, all of you are part of that same faith. You are part of Abraham. Now, Abraham was given a covenant. He was given a promise, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. So look at verse number eight as we continue this thought about pronouncing a curse. The scripture, verse eight, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, what we're seeing here is that we're seeing that even for Abraham, the word of God was being preached. The word of God was being proclaimed. It was declaring the purpose of God before it ever came to pass. In other words, what was the purpose of God? That God would justify the heathen through faith. That's the purpose of God. That was determined before it was ever done. That's the purpose of these covenants. These covenants came before it actually came to pass. 
And notice what it says. In thee, Abraham, all nations shall be blessed. Remember, we're talking about the state of blessedness, the state of being blessed. So in order to be of the blessed, you must come through Abraham. The reason there's a promise is because there was a covenant that was given to Abraham. And this is part of the covenant that in thy seed, nation shall be blessed. So what we see here is that this seed, we'll talk about here in just a moment, this seed is Christ. And this is what's going to be mentioned here uh, in verse number 16. We'll just look across the page. It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one seed, and to thy seed, which is Christ. In other words, the promise to Abraham was that through Christ, all nations shall be blessed. Abraham did not fully understand Christ. He didn't understand all that Christ would be, but that Christ was the very object of everything that Jesus was doing and that the purposes of God would be carried out. So righteousness comes through Christ. Blessedness comes through Christ. To be in Christ and to be blessed means you must come through Abraham. Abraham is not the object of faith. It is Christ that's the object of faith. But all that are in the faith, Abraham is their father because of the covenant that was given. Now, the covenant of works that was given to Adam, we know that he failed. But the covenant of grace that would be given to Jesus Christ, he would perfectly fulfill. So Adam or Abraham was being told about a seed that would come in thy seed. Abraham's seed would eventually lead to Jesus Christ. And we know if you study the lines, you will know that Jesus Christ did indeed spring forth from Abraham. Okay, so there's a direct line and that all nations would be blessed as a result of that. So verse number nine tells us the opposite of the covenant of works. So then they which be of faith are what? Blessed with faithful Abraham. To be of the faith is to be in Christ. So we need to understand here that in the covenant of works, there's nothing but curse. In the covenant of grace through Christ, there is blessing, but Jesus Christ must be the very object of that. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, if you don't keep all the law, you are cursed. And cursed is the man, everyone that does not continue in all that the law requires. Now we know what happened to Adam. Adam that was before the law was even given, but Adam could not even keep the simple commandment of do not eat. He had one tree of the garden he could not touch, and yet he failed at that. So we know, as we've studied, that there are many that try to seek justification by keeping the works or keeping the deeds of the law. They're trusted in their own righteousness. They're trusted in their own way, their own acceptance with God. But those, according to the word of God, they are under the curse of the law. Because what does the law require? The law requires doing, not just knowing, not just hearing, not just approving of, but perfectly doing the law. To keep the law means to do the law. 
not only in your deeds, but also in your words. Now think about how incredibly impossible that is to keep the law in your words and in your deeds in everything that you do. So the covenant of works was given to us as a proof that the covenant of works does nothing but pronounces a curse upon every man because man cannot keep the law and to be under a curse is to be void of blessing. All right, so you can't be blessed and cursed at the same time. They don't coexist. All right, so that's what the covenant of works pronounced. Number two, the covenant of grace contains no curse, only a blessing through faith. All right, so there is no curse in the covenant of grace. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Now here's an interesting question for you. If, since justification doesn't come by the law, and those who believe justification comes by the law, they don't answer audibly, but how were people justified before the law was given? In other words, if a person says it's the law that saves or the law that justifies, how were people like Abel saved? How were people like Noah saved? How was Enoch saved? How was Job saved? How was Abraham saved? Because they all lived before the law was ever given. So think about that for a moment. We often think about the law existing in the book of Genesis. The law was not even given until we get to Moses and then after that. So before that, there was no law. So how was, if the law saves, then what about everybody before that? So what Paul's trying to prove here is he's proving that no man is justified by the law, and the law, verse 12, is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Or in other words, the man that says the law is the way, then he must keep it. What was the purpose of the law? The law was not given to save. We've got to remember that. The law was given to reveal sin. The law was never given to man to save. It was given that man might see himself as a sinner to lead us to Christ. That's why all the types, all the pictures, uh, all the shadows, all the things we see in the Old Testament, they were given to us and given to the Old Testament saint in order that they might see where their faith must be in this coming Messiah. No man has ever perfectly kept the law. So what does the Bible say? The just or the justified shall live by faith. Okay, they must live by faith. The law is not justifying. The law is not of faith, verse number 12. It, nor does it require faith. In other words, the law doesn't require you just to be, have faith. It requires perfect obedience. There's a difference. There's a difference in having faith and obedience. The law doesn't just require faith. The law requires perfect obedience. I must keep the law absolutely perfectly in order for it to justify me. So the law doesn't just reach to man's outward actions. The law reaches to the very inward of a man. It requires not only external obedience, but it requires perfect attitude, perfect motive, 
Now we're getting the picture. There was only one who could keep the law perfectly, and that's Christ. Okay, that's, that's the important aspect of this. And these covenants, unless you keep in mind the coming of the law, these covenants will make absolutely no sense to us. So we know that the covenant of grace contains no curse, only a blessing through faith. Number three, the Lord Jesus Christ has done all to remove the curse. Now, what was the curse? The covenant of works pronounced the curse and to provide blessedness. Okay, Christ has done all. He takes away the curse and he provides the blessing. So what we have here, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So what Paul shows here is the law is a curse because of its requirement. It requires perfection. It requires something that man cannot do. Why? Because man is imperfect. Man does not have the ability to fulfill the law perfectly. So no man justified by the works. So in verse 13, what's he showing us? He's showing how we are justified and how we are redeemed from the curse of the law. When we think about Jesus on the cross, don't just think about Jesus just removing the curse. The, re- the biblical truth about this is, is Christ was made a curse for us. Okay? This isn't just Jesus removing a curse. Jesus actually became the curse for us. We're told about this in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law or under the curse, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And verse 13, back in Galatians 3, tells us that everyone who's hung from a tree is cursed. That's what it says. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That was the penalty, and that was the sign that a person was under the curse or under the penalty of death. So what did Jesus do? Jesus became a curse for us. He didn't just remove the curse. He became the curse for us, but he did, in fact, remove the curse that we were under, the inability to keep the law, and he became that payment for us. Then Paul goes on and said, and these are all connected thoughts. You see at the end of verse 13, the thought continues. Curses everyone that hangeth on the tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now stop and think about this for a moment. The blessing of Abraham, Jewish line, might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So the blessing that was promised to Abraham could only come through the Gentiles or come to the Gentiles through who? Through Jesus Christ. Why is that coming through? Because of the covenant that was made to Abraham, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, and in thy seed all nations would be blessed. So now you see this merging together of the promises made to Abraham and that the Gentiles, in order to receive the same blessedness, have to come through that same covenant. Okay, it has to become through. They've got to come through Abraham. Now, again, not that the faith is in Abraham, it's in the seed of Abraham. 
The seed of Abraham is Christ. And Paul's going to clearly define who the seed is. But this thought here is very, very important to understand that the blessing of Abraham is simply this, the same blessing of justification that you and I have is the same righteousness Abraham had before God. Abraham was just as much in Christ as you and I are, even though he did not fully understand it. In other words, when Abraham stands before God, he does not stand in the righteousness of someone else. He's standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, just like we are. All of it's the same. Now, that's where, the, that's where the dispensationalism and the covenants break down because some say Abraham's only there by some other type of faith. It's all in Christ. And it's important to keep that because remember, Christ had not yet come to this earth yet and Abraham yet, it says, it was counted to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe God about? And earlier in this chapter, we didn't read it. But it says in verse 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. All of this speaks about the promise made to Abraham. It was a promise of a Messiah that would come, the seed, which was Christ. So Abraham was not justified by the law. Abraham was not justified by works. Abraham was not justified by circumcision. He was justified by Christ. There is a verse in the book of Romans that deals with this. Romans chapter number four, if you want to turn there. Romans four, verses 20 through 25. Romans four, verses 20 through 25. And again, if, if, we, if we don't understand the full context of this, just this seems to uh, not make sense. But if you read all the context of Romans four, you cannot come to any other conclusion than the fact that Abraham was was saved and justified in and through Christ. Here's what it says in verse 20 about Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, that's the God, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake, Abraham, alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Very simply put, Abraham, we must follow Abraham's belief that God will save us if we believe his promises about Christ's death and his resurrection. It is through Christ, complete work of atonement. Abraham was looking forward. I mentioned this last week. We are looking back, but we're all looking at the same Christ, the same seed. So Jesus Christ did all to remove the curse. Number four, the Holy Scriptures make reference to the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. However, we must not confuse the Old Covenant with the covenant of works. Now that may sound a little bit confusing, but don't look at this and say, okay, the Old Testament was the covenant of works and the New Testament is the covenant of grace. No, that's not what the intent here is. 
Uh, Look back at Galatians 3, verse 15 and 16. It says, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is Christ. So what Paul is arguing here with is that justification before God Again, this is repetitive, cannot be by the law because promises, these promises that he's writing about here were made 430 years before the Levitical law was ever given. That's what he says in verse 17. This I say that that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which is 430 years after, cannot disannul. In other words, when we talk about the old covenant, we're not talking about the covenant of works. The Old Testament doesn't mean that man was ever saved by keeping the law. Justification is not by law because the law says do this and live. Man can never fulfill the law. The law only condemns. Justification is not by the law, but it's in Christ who redeemed us from the curse of the law by the sacrifice of himself. Justification is not by the law, since it was promised by God in a covenant of mercy before the law was ever given. Here's what all this means. There was a covenant of mercy that was made before the law was ever given, indicating that the keeping of the law was never the intent. Does that make sense? It was never the intent. If God intended that the law was to be kept, then he would have given that. But the law, that's why Paul says it was 430 years before that. So that this covenant that he talks about in verse number 15 and 16, this covenant, he gives an illustration of a covenant made between men. And he even says here that I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. In other words, even between two men, if they make a covenant one with another, that covenant legally cannot be overturned and it cannot be annulled once it's been confirmed. What Paul's trying to prove here is saying that if a man's covenant cannot be disannulled or cannot be overturned, how much more can the covenant of God not be overturned? In other words, God's not going to make a covenant and then he's going to overturn it. That's why he mentions now to Abraham, verse 16, and his seed were the promises made or was the covenant made. And he clearly says not to seeds, but as of one. And here's where Paul brings all this together and says, listen, the covenant was about Christ. The covenant was about the seed that come through Christ. These promises of justification, the promises of eternal life were made to those who are not the natural seed of Abraham, but those who are part of Christ's body, those who are part of Christ's church, those who are the spiritual seed of Abraham, which would include both Jews and Gentiles alike. This is a lot of information coming down to this point where he's simply saying that this covenant that was made was not just made with the Jews. It was made for all the Jews and the Gentiles who would come to it. They would all be part of that same covenant, which was a result of that one seed. That one seed was Christ. So we got to make sure we don't confuse the two and say, okay, the old covenant was the covenant of works or the old, uh, the old Testament 
So, number five, the old covenant, here's the way to view it instead. The old covenant is the covenant of grace revealed before the coming of Christ. The new covenant is the covenant of grace revealed after the coming of Christ. This is the simplest way to put it. And again, I know this is a lot. But the simplest way to put this is don't look at it and say, okay, the old covenant was a waste. No, the old covenant is the covenant of grace. There's always been a covenant of grace. Okay, but part of the time the covenant of grace was before Christ and the new covenant was after Christ. But it's all the covenant of grace. This is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 17 that the covenant was confirmed before of God in Christ the law. In other words, that covenant that was confirmed, that covenant that was promised, it was before the law was ever given. And if it could be, if that could be broken, look what it says, it cannot disannul it that it should make the promise and effect. In other words, if that covenant can be disannulled, then all of God's promises to Abraham were of no purpose and no value and basically would make God a liar. Okay? And that's what leads him to say in verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. In other words, that Levitical law that was given 430 years after the covenant concerning the Messiah was given does not and cannot change or make void the promise of eternal life in Christ by faith. Okay, because of that covenant, because of the covenant of grace, there cannot, the law cannot change or make void the promises God has made. So if justification is by keeping the law or by ceremony, it would not be a promise. But what does it say in verse 18? God gave it to Abraham by promise, not by law. So when we think about this, and again, we are using, we are looking at this from a very, very high level. We are not even really getting into all the ins and outs of everything we could talk about tonight because this is so deep. But what I want us to understand and what I want us to keep in mind is not so much all the intricacies of it, but understanding that there has always been, as we learned last week, from the time of Adam, the first Adam's fall, man has always been under this covenant of grace. So that no, at no time between Adam and even today and moving forward has there ever been a moment where a man could keep the covenant of works for his justification. That's what I want us to get. You may not get anything else I said tonight, but you've got that truth. There has never been a covenant of works that man, God has said, if you will do this, then you will get this. Why? Because that covenant of works failed with Adam. Now that's where the argument comes in with dispensationalism because dispensationalism on a classic, a classic dispensationalist says that there has been dispensations where God has worked, dealt with man differently. And in some of those dispensations, people who teach and believe that would say, well, in that dispensation, man had to keep the law 
in some extent, or we had to do some sort of works. Now, if that's true, then everything I just said to you tonight is inaccurate. Okay, it can't be both. Because what, what Paul's saying in Galatians 3 is that it's, it's always been about grace. It's never been about the law. And Abraham was never justified by keeping the law. And yet there was an Abrahamic covenant given that in all nations would be blessed in thy seed. That seed is Christ. So to believe that somewhere along the line, Abraham was, he received the covenant because of his works would not be accurate. To say that any of the covenants before or after that were as a result of works, Paul has just imploded that idea by saying, listen, if it was ever that way, okay, another simple way to put this, if it was ever that way, then that promise that God made to Abraham was a sham. Everybody got that? that that's really the essence of this. Everything Paul just talked about in Galatians 3 if anybody has been justified by works at any point in time, then what God said to Abraham was a lie. Because he all but says, listen, if it, was, if it was about the law, then what do you do about the time before the law was ever given? And that's where the dispensationalist says, well, that's because there was a time when they must keep the law. So let's look at the application here. The covenant of works and the covenant of grace both demand Man must be righteous if he is to be blessed. The covenant of works contained a curse and condemnation. Why? Due to man's failure. There is no blessing. You and I are not blessed because of Adam, the first Adam, because Adam failed. Adam's failure resulted in the curse and the condemnation of man. Now, if God would have left man in that condition, you and I would be under the curse today and under condemnation. However, because of the covenant of grace, there is now a confirmation of a covenant. And that covenant promises this, is that there will be no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because I'm in Christ that is all the way back to the promise of the covenant that was given by, from God to Abraham that in you, in that seed, my seed, all nations will be blessed. Had God left man with just the covenant of works, none of us would have any hope. But because of Christ, that now makes Romans 8.1 make a perfect sense, which says this, there is therefore what? No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation because of the covenant of grace. There's no condemnation, not because man kept the covenant of works or man kept the law, but because of grace. Because of this one, and this is just one covenant, the covenant that was made with Abraham. This one covenant confirms that all that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. All right, this is a lot to think about. It's a lot to consider. And again, this is not exhaustive enough to even get us to the point where we fully have all the ins and outs. But again, I want you to get the, just the main points of this and that we begin thinking about this, that there's always only been these two covenants, the covenant of works, which declared man's fallen nature, and the covenant of grace, which declares the blessing of Jesus Christ, the seed 
those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. All right, so next week what we're going to kind of do is we're going to to wrap this up. This has just been kind of a mini little series on this, and we're going to kind of do a review of, again, just the works and the grace, and uh, we'll kind of tie this up together. Uh, Before we uh, pray and be dismissed, let me give you just a a short uh, couple of verses here, just kind of a way of encouragement. The 2 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 11. 2 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Paul writing here about the, uh, about the truth, and he gives a very, very strong admonition regarding the truth, and I love this. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Again, I thank you for being here, and I pray that the Lord has spoken to us in a great way. Let's pray.